Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in. Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing and he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk alone? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them. What things, they replied. The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us what they had indeed seen, a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we are continuing on with what we know to be the story, the walk to Emmaus. It is Easter day. The disciples, these two, are perplexed. Jimmy read to you the opening part. I'm going to continue in Luke 24, verses 28 through 35. Listen with fresh ears to the word of the Lord. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. 
They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord is risen indeed, he has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So at my last church, we had an event every December at Christ Presbyterian in Tallahassee, Florida. It was our Christmas mission market. So we would set up 20, 25, 30 tables, nonprofits would come, and folks would come make donations uh, in the names of other folks and give that to Christmas, give them as a Christmas gift to them. Great all the way around. But to do that, we needed 15, 20 rectangular tables. So it's Friday, preacher got the duty, and I had a truck. So that gives me double duty. So we had to go, I had to go borrow tables from another church in town, Faith Presbyterian, their larger church. And so I'm there, and of course, they don't keep their tables on the first floor, they keep it on the second floor. The little elevator won't fit the tables inside, so I have to carry them all the way down, down the hallway, down the steps, and then to my truck. So by the end of that time, I am, it's my day off, so I've got a ball cap on, got a white shirt that's now all dirty, sweat covered, tennis shoes, shorts, fill it in the back, all set to go. So I stick my head in to Tom, who's the pastor, and we're a part of a pastor group that meets monthly. We would read, we rotate around, we have breakfast together, discuss things. I had seen him two weeks before. Stuck my head in and say, hey, bud, thanks for the tables. Have a great weekend. He said, great. Enjoy the tables. My name's Tom. Who are you? I said, Tom, it's, it's Danny. It's me, Danny Deeth. Christ Presbyterian took my hat. Oh, Danny, Danny, yeah, I didn't see you. You looked so out of context, which happens to ministers in general, because I don't look like this at the Publix. Walking down the street, not in my robe, and people will bump into me, and it'll, it'll take a second. And we probably have experiences like that that we can recall from people that we kind of know from a certain place in time, and then we see them outside of that place in time, and it takes us a minute to figure out, now, what, is, is that church? Is that work? Is that neighborhood? Is that friends? Is that fa- Who is that? Well, for whatever reason, we're experiencing that phenomenon today in a big way. So as I mentioned, it's Easter day. You have these two disciples who are walking what we think was about seven miles to a town called Emmaus. We don't know exactly where Emmaus is, although I think if you go to the Middle East, they'd be happy to show you exactly where the town of Emmaus is. It could have been seven miles, could have been 19 miles, but they're walking, so we're, we're we go with that lower number. And for all that happens on that day, for them to be able to do what they do and then get back with the news, we think it's probably that closer amount, seven miles. So they're walking and they're out of town. And remember, it's Easter day, but they've not, no one has confirmed that Christ has been raised. At most, 
They know that the tomb was empty. The women were spoken to by angels, but nobody has seen. They just know he's not there. So take a step back from them. Remember, this was the Messiah with whom they followed. Cleopas and the unnamed disciple were not part of the 12, but we know there are a lot more people traveling with Jesus than just the 12, and they call him disciple. So it would have put everything on the line for Christ, would have walked with him, saw him heal, saw him teach, saw him do amazing things that no one else could do. In essence, they had already given their lives to follow him until he was crucified put him on the cross, and he died. That's the last thing that they knew, upsetting everything that they understood and were told about what a Messiah is, who the Messiah is, and what would happen to that Messiah. Messiah wouldn't die. That would negate whoever this imposter is, this Jesus, from being the true Messiah. So they are grief-stricken. They're in a state of shock. They are confused. And so as they're walking, you you know what it's like when you're in your car and you are so deep in thought, so laser focused on something that you get to where you're going and you kind of snap it. Well, oh, I'm here. You've been on autopilot. Kind of like what these two are experiencing. They are so focused in what has happened, so covered in grief and despair that they don't recognize Christ when he joins them. Now, it says he kept their eyes from seeing them, reminiscent almost of Pharaoh, who had his heart hardened by God so he could establish Moses and show God's power through those 10 plagues. Even Judas, one point, said Judas's heart was hardened because somebody had to betray Christ. So here they are really kept from seeing, but we also think that Jesus, because they were so confused when people did see him after he was raised, he must have looked a little different. After he was brought back from the dead, he was spirit and body, wasn't just spirit floating around. He had a physical body that Thomas, you remember, touched, and he ate meals with them to make sure that They knew that he was physical. So here, for whatever reason, they don't know that this is Jesus. And Jesus walks up and says, hey, what's what's going on in Jerusalem these days? And it would not have been so different than someone walking out of New York City on September 12th. 2001, and somebody says, what's, so what, what happened, what's going on in the city the last couple of days? It would have been that level of despair and brokenness. The Messiah for the, came for the world is now no longer the Messiah, and they are struggling. And here comes somebody asking about, don't you know? How can you not know what just happened? The one that we thought would reconcile Israel would be our Messiah, was crucified and died. So they have more conversation. Finally, Jesus says, Oh, 
Don't you listen to what I say to you, my disciples? Went through Moses and the prophets, talked to them about what had to happen when the Messiah came. Don't you remember? You were told that the Messiah would come and would suffer and die and after three days be raised again. Don't you remember? And they're still thinking and they're still working it out and they don't know who this is, but they get to where they're going. They get to Emmaus, whether that's their home or where they're stopping for the night, we're not real sure. And so Jesus kind of goes to walk on, continue walking. And the two disciples say, hey, come on, stay, stay with us. You don't need to go on. It's getting later in the afternoon or early evening. You need to stay with us and we can, we'll have a meal together. If you need to stay here, stay with us. So Jesus comes and sits with them at table and this is where it happens. He takes the bread, he takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. A formula we've seen at the feeding of the 5,000, a formula we have seen at the Last Supper, and if you look at Christ himself, fits that same formula. Humankind took Christ. God blessed Christ. He was broken on the cross and was given to the world. Breaks the bread, and when he breaks the bread, boom, their eyes were opened. Jesus disappears and completely, again, perplexed, but for much better reasons this time, then they kind of look back and say, he was with us the whole time. Were our hearts not burning inside of us while he walked with us and spoke with us on the road? And then they go back. We can't just sit here. We've got to tell everybody else. So then they go back to Jerusalem and tell others what they have seen. And they say, Peter, he appeared to Peter. And they say, well, we saw him too. And that's where our story ends. It's great. One, one of the best developed appearance stories that we have. So today, what's the point? Several. We're going to focus just on the end piece which is the breaking of the bread as today we are breaking bread with Christ and the world. But first, that, that little bit of recognition. The Greek word is anagnorisis. Sounds like a skin condition, doesn't it? That's an anagnorisis. Take something for that. That's a Greek word for recognize. And it's so much about what the story is like. Christ walks with them all the way on their journey or from the point he joins them. And they don't get it. They don't understand. How often does that happen? I think it happens to us daily as well. I think Christ walks with us in a variety of forms, in a variety of ways. And we don't understand. And often we can understand later looking back for example, I think the two, after Christ breaks bread, opens their eyes, and they think back and kind of debrief that walk 
Were our hearts not burning? Think about the times in your life when your hearts were burning for Christ. Maybe it was at a Bible study, maybe in a worship, maybe after a beautiful anthem, maybe you went to serve others, maybe you were on a mission trip. God reaches out to us in so many ways. And we have these little moments, these brief moments. Even though God kept them from recognition, he also helped them to recognize at this one point. So one of the things we need to think about is that we need to be thinking back through our journey to see where God and Christ have been present and walking with us. Because so often we lose what God has been, how God has been involved because we don't debrief, we don't think about it. When we go on mission trips every night, where did you see God today? You could ask that at your table at dinner. You could ask it at breakfast in the morning. Because once you know that question will be asked, then you're going to start looking. And once you start looking, you're going to start seeing. These two disciples look back and think, gosh, how, how could we not have known? Didn't you feel something going on? So where have your hearts burned to help you see that Christ has been with you? The next part of this, think about what it would have been like at that moment when he appeared to them. Again, still overcome with grief, the world had changed for the worst. Not the Messiah, all of those things that those promises were broken. And bam, he appears to them in a second and then disappears. Surprise! Surprise, I see in a nine-foot gator on First Avenue in Columbus, Georgia. It would have changed everything in that second. He is alive. He was here. It was him who was walking with us. He is alive. Everything he said is true. He is the Messiah. And what do they do? Do they sit? Do they write? Do they say a prayer? Do they talk? Do they have VBS? No. They run back and they say, we've got to tell everybody else. Because they're not sure what has transpired since they left. And they run. Interesting to note that as Jesus was getting ready to walk away, he would have kept going unless they invited him to join him. That's the hospitality part for this. They may very well have let Jesus go on about his business, but they said, come on, join us, stranger. Still didn't know who he was. Come sit at our table and we'll eat together. Hospitality, the sermon title, Seven Miles to Hospitableness, was great because if you notice, I capitalized the T, which looks like hospitable. Hospitable. It's perfect. That's today. It is the hospitality that welcomed a stranger in that helped them see Christ. And it is at the table where their eyes were opened because he broke the bread before them. Then they started to put it together. They finally understood all the pieces that took to get them to that 
meal. Yesterday, I went to the Metro Diner for breakfast with the rest of Columbus, Georgia. <laughs> Vicky's out of town. She's leading a church retreat up near Helen, Georgia, Shallowford Presbyterian this week. So she was gone. My two teenage daughters could have driven a truck through the house and would not have woken them up. But I'm the only one who really likes a big breakfast in my house anyway. So every once in a while, I'll get up and I'll go. And I did. So I sat up at the bar and right in front of me is the kitchen. There's probably 10 people in this narrow strip, 10. This is their rush time, Saturday morning, right around 9.30, 10. That's the big zone for them, full, wall to wall. So I'm watching them. They're probably two inches from me. I see the food. They're prepping it. They're cutting it right there. It's a dinner and a show, breakfast and a show. And I'm thinking, how, how do they coordinate and talk about it? And nobody's smiling, but nobody's angry either. And egg guy's got both hands going, and this person's got two working on the pancakes and the hash browns. The bacon oven's going, bacon over here. People are organizing and putting it here. They're up, they're down. They're coming at you, coming up, coming up, coming down. Like, oh my gosh, you do this every day? I started to think about how many times we go out to eat and we don't realize how much goes in to preparing a meal. It's hard running a restaurant, hard. Even harder when you're good at it. Because that means there's more people there and you want it to be full and rushed because it means people are coming. In that moment, I thought, we don't often think about how many pieces take place to get our food on the table, whether it's farmers, the truck drivers, the grocery stores, to restaurants, all the pieces. A lot goes into a meal at the table. But for these disciples, they had no clue what was going into their meal until Christ broke the bread. And then they got it. Remember, he had been speaking scripture to them. Jesus was interpreting scripture to them. Jesus was interpreting scripture to them. And when they experienced him in the broken bread, they put those two pieces together, scripture and experience. We can memorize the Bible, have our scripture down, or we can rely fully on our experiences and neglect the word in scripture. Neither will give us a complete understanding of Christ's presence with us. And you work on those two together which Christ gave them as a gift. He talked to them about Moses and the prophets and the scriptures, and then they experienced him. So we need to keep those two in our minds. As we seek to move forward, it is scripture and experience. Both are valid, but they need one another. Scripture is the harder part, I believe. You have to be more intentional, more deliberate, more disciplined. But that joy is there. And then they realize that this is the Messiah that came for the world. Today we are celebrating World Communion Sunday, a table set not just for us, but for all those who profess Christ around the world. Every strip mall, every hut, 
every open space, every cathedral, every, every place, every home, in every nation, in all languages, all races, people that we think we might be very different from are coming together today to proclaim that Christ was the Messiah and did come for all of us. And the promises made here have been kept. Dr. Hugh Kerr in 1933, Shadyside Presbyterian Church, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, started World Communion Sunday. His church, through their stewardship drive and committee, started this idea that we need to be connected with other Christians because we're all doing this, no matter how we disagree with other Christians in whatever way that we do it, and of course we have differences. We're united through baptism, which we did last week, and communion, which we are getting ready to share. And again, while we may do that a little bit differently, we're all at the table. And so again, in 33, they start this idea and it grows and grows, picked up by the National Council of Churches and other groups, and not everybody that is Christian participates, but many do in many countries, signifying the larger body that we are all a part of and the world that has more, we've set more places here than people are here, which means we need to be hospitable and need to go out and ask strangers to come sit with us, come to this table and dine with us. Those who have more money and those who have less, those who are angry and those who are happy, those who are sick, those who are well. If you look on your bulletin cover, it's a great depiction of Christ at the table slash Christ uh, of the, what? Soup kitchen, right. We're in there. We're at that table. We represent some of those marginalized. But there are others who aren't at the table that we need to go and invite and bring in. All are welcome at Christ's table. And we seek for that to happen today. So look back over your journey. Where did your hearts burn? Where have they burned for Christ? And I guarantee you they have, whether you've been able to identify that or not. And then remember the hospitality piece. Only in welcoming the stranger and the outcast and the ones we think are so different or even unworthy were they able to see Christ. And then the table joining with Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Who come to join us in this feast. And that's what this is today. Communion has different feels. Sometimes it is somber, but today it is a celebration. When I was in youth ministry at White Memorial Presbyterian in Raleigh, North Carolina, we had a trip that we would start, we call the mountains to the sea trip. 
We would start up in the mountains of North Carolina. We'd go whitewater rafting on the Natahala. Then every day we would go east one city, stay at a church, do a mission project, move east one city, church, mission project, till we get to the Outer Banks. And that last night, we would have communion on the beach. And the first time we did that, I was not so aware of the summertime rituals. So I've got us on the beach all set up, tiki torches, very beachy. And as they come out and the sun goes down, fireworks start shooting off. At night, in the summertime, when the sun goes down, you shoot off fireworks on the beach, that's what you do. Not just 4th of July. So as we are participating in communion, all of these lights are flashing and things going off, and I thought, this is the way to celebrate communion. Again, there are times when it is somber and not celebrative, but today we are joining so many of those around the world, we do celebrate. So today, see the fireworks as this meal comes to you. Eat this bread, drink this cup, and pray that our eyes and hearts would be open to Christ with us again.